Locate in your Bibles this evening, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with, with verse 1, and I'm going to read from verse 1. Uh, this afternoon we're bringing to a conclusion our series of messages on uh, church planting. I don't know if we ever truly bring to conclusion such a series. It is something that we hope the Lord helping us to keep talking about. It is something that we hope the Lord giving us strength to, to keep doing. Uh, but we have had an intentional season of working through various scriptures, thinking about church planting, the who, what, when, where, why, and how of it all, really. So uh, let's, let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This evening I want to think about how we plant churches, and, and not how in the methodological sense so much, but how in the principal sense that leads to any number of methods. Personally, there may be different opinions on this, but um, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about the specific evangelistic approach one takes. I was asked once, do you have a go-to method? And I don't. Um, uh, some people need that. Some people have to have something that's given to them that they then work with. Uh, I personally don't. Um, I work with the conversation, see where it goes. And uh, just this afternoon, I sat down on a, on a bench and this uh, elderly lady walked up to me and asked if she, should, she could sit next to me just for five minutes, she said. And I think I could have been there much longer. Um, I did have to go. But um, uh, for about five minutes, we talked. And uh, maybe longer than that, actually. Probably more like ten. And she shared uh, various things, bits and pieces of her life. Uh, quite a range of topics from uh, where, where she was from, her background, uh, Newcastle, uh, what brought her family down when she was only two, where she lived, and how she's not posh, but she's lived in Highgate, and, um, uh, and so she's considered posh posh. You know, <laughs> know about that, Jolly. So, um, uh, you know, she, she was, um, uh, you know, feeling a bit of, uh, uh, you know, the assumptions people make about her, and we chatted a bit about that, and, and then she... Uh, uh, she said something uh, along the lines of uh, going to a Church of England school and we're uh, somehow got her name, Grace, and I uh, segued from that pretty immediately to, oh, Grace, uh, that's, a, that's a fantastic name. In fact, uh, I have to go because I, I, we have a service uh, and our church just around the corner is Grace Baptist Church. And uh, she, she asked what that was, um, what, what kind of church is that. Her only church-going experience was here and there because she was a part of a Church of England school. And she, she knew very little about really Christian belief and stuff. And so I was able to simply take her name and uh, the name of our church and tell her about the grace of God which is given to us in Jesus Christ. It was a brief interaction. It is the sort of thing that I know God uses. Um, as we point someone to, to, you know, she was saying, well, I, when she knew as a pastor, she wanted to convince me that she was a good person. And, um, you, know, we're, you know, there's some people who go to church. 
I didn't, I didn't even invite her, but she make, started making excuses for why she doesn't go to church. Um, uh, you know, some people go to church, and they're not really nice people. And uh, I don't go to church, and I, I talk to everybody, and I'm, I'm, I'm a nice person. And I told her that, you know, really that line of thinking is not understanding Christianity so much. Uh, our message is fundamentally one of grace, and perhaps that's why churches might have not nice people in them, um, people who are actually sick and in need of, of healing. Um, and, of course, we, we hope that the grace of God changes us and works, works in us and through us so that we change, so that we are above reproach, as we've you know, been talking about in Titus uh, this morning and last week. But, uh, yeah. You can work with any number of things in your conversations if you're actually listening to people. I think that's important, that you listen to people, that you get to know them, that you, you, you have a sincere interest in them. As someone who's made in the image and, and, you know, of, of God, they're his creature. And regarding them with that dignity, that value, that worth, seizing every moment to, to tell them, his grace. Well, it's kind of that way, as far as I'm concerned, with, with church planting. There have been occasions where we as a congregation have, have been involved in church plants that we have actively sought, uh, and there have been times that we have been involved in church plants more reactively. So someone has come to us and said, help us. And there have been occasions where uh, people have been within our congregation and we have set them apart and we have sent them out. And there have been occasions where some have been outside our congregation, but lacking a healthy local church gospel witness where they're going, they have brought themselves under the pastoral care and oversight of the church. They have, through um, uh, various allowances we have made as a congregation, even entered into the membership of the church with a view to immediately being set apart and sent out, even though they never were actually here, so that they can see a, a, a local church gospel witness planted in their place. Sometimes there's a building involved. The church is closed, and uh, there's, there might be potentially an opportunity, but just because there's a building, I, I, I know, you know we've learned, doesn't mean that that's a viable opportunity. Our, our, um, our approach should not revolve around venues or, or buildings. The reality is sometimes a building of a church is closed for good reasons. That, that might be scandalous to some, but there are churches that die because Jesus killed them. Read Revelation letters to the churches, seven churches. I will remove your candlestick. Your lampstand, I'll, I'll, uh, basically, you, you will be extinguished as a representative of Jesus Christ in your local community. That's really hard. That's really scary to, to, to think about. Um, and it, it, it should cause us to, um, to really examine ourselves and to, to seek the Lord. Um, that, that's something, though, that we, we have to affirm. Sometimes getting caught in the wake of such a place is inadvisable. It's definitely hard going. And um, we, we have seen different scenarios where we, we've known the Lord's blessing and the fruit as we've pursued such opportunities. And we will pursue open doors, invitations, but not all of them will work out. And we, we certainly have seen that over the years. There are different ways in which we can go about church planting and different ways we can go about the, 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 the sort of process. Do we take a chunk of our people and send them out? We did that with Enfield Lock. But sometimes we've, we've just had one person that we've sent out to do a Bible study in the midweek and do evangelism and gather people around the Word. And, and that's, that's fine too. We, we have to know our communities. We have to know also the Lord, and trust the Holy Spirit to do the work through the Word as the Gospels proclaimed. You know, this 
passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, encourages us with that. The Apostle Paul had done ministry in all kinds of places up to the point he found himself in Corinth. It was not his first missionary journey. Uh, he finds himself in this city, very diverse place, socioeconomically, culturally, ethnically, religiously. He sought out some people that he could spend time with, could work with. He started working for them even. And he was also spending regular time reasoning in the synagogue. So he, he started with people who were God-believing, though they hadn't yet come to knowledge and understanding of Jesus as the Messiah. He spends time with them and eventually gets kicked out. The ruler of the synagogue believes in Jesus. So uh, he joins Paul with his whole family and they move next door. And Paul continues to, to be teaching. And when his colleagues show up, they find him busy in that hall explaining the things of the Gospel. Gathering people to, to hear the Word of the Lord and sending them out with the message of Jesus. And yet Paul found himself, it's indicated in Acts where this is recounted, he found himself feeling somewhat alone, fearful, and perhaps about to give up. Such that Jesus had to appear to him in a dream and tell him to stay. To keep preaching. To keep sharing the good news of Jesus in that city because he still had people there. The city was dark. The city was um, hostile increasingly from all sides. And yet Paul was supposed to stay. Sometimes people's approach, their thoughts about church planting are uh, overly glamorized. I think about boys growing up in the uh, Victorian era. They were immersed in stories of lads like themselves going off to war for crown and country. And I used to read those, those books and could get caught up in the adventurous nature of those storylines, they'd accomplish great feats of bravery and they'd achieve the heights of military glory in the scheme of things with minimal suffering. The scar or two that they did walk away with was merely external, nothing really about their mental state. And they would eventually win the admiration of their peers, including those that had, at the beginning of the story, maybe looked down upon them. And, of course, they would win the affection of the story's token female. I think there was generally one. A very sanitary version of um, reality, of course. Imagine those who would read those books, which functioned in some ways as imperial propaganda, to, to join up. And so they would, they would go off and they would serve... And imagine the shock when they themselves enlisted and experienced firsthand the filth and gore of a soldier's life, the mental trauma and the emotional anguish that accompanied the return home. I started thinking about those books, and many of them were written and published late 1800s, early 1900s. The boys would have become men right around 1914 and then the world is at war, and off they go to the trenches. Absolutely horrific. People unprepared, diving into something that they, they don't know. Now my point is this, as testimonies, books, models, and 100 other things about church planting are introduced over recent decades to the Christian world, there is a very real danger that the subject becomes glamorized. It is not glamorous, but it has in some circles become glamorized. It could easily become glamorized among us. The stories that I kind of recounted just a moment ago, we could think, oh, about this church plant, and oh, what we've seen God do here and there. And the way we give testimonies can glamorize actually what is a very painful subject. 
Swayed by success stories, it is possible for a person to think that if one is so bold as to step out in faith and start a new church, they will automatically win a great and sudden victory. There are different ways, like I said, in which someone might go about this. But if we, if we just keep things old school and simple, tracts and invitations are distributed, door to door is done, hundreds, thousands even of people are engaged verbally at the doorstep or in the street. They might put posters up, they might place adverts in local papers or on social media. Personal contacts are made and developed. It's then expected that on Sunday morning, the enemy will suffer as a great congregation of new believers stands and sings for the first time. And that is not normally how it goes. Has that happened before? Yes. Does that mean that's what, what's normal? No. Now, does that mean that the Holy Spirit isn't at work? See, that's the mistake that we make when we look at Small beginnings, difficulties, and we assume that God is not work in that and through that. What if, not disparaging those who have the more successful start, what if it's actually that very place that the Holy Spirit is working? And in those very things that His power is most known and felt. Why do some have this picture in their heads though? Because only the success stories, humanistically defined, get reported. Either that or we are naively, naively blind to the raw accounts of great difficulty, spiritual turmoil, personal loss, emotional depression, congregational fragmentation, and satanic attack that are more representative of the reality. Church planters don't know what's real because church pragmatists don't keep it real. It is this problem that leads to the presumptive church planter giving up, sometimes for truly absurd reasons. I remember being told by a, a failed church planter that this is basically exact. So, basically exact. You already know it's not. But it is a very close um, uh, remembrance of what he said. I was experiencing stuff that I would rather not experience. I, I, even now I have to breathe in, and I remember that was at a round table that I was hosting in Sweden, one of the singularly most depressing church planting events I've, I've had primarily because of that response. I was experiencing stuff that I would rather not experience. While I appreciate his honesty, what is the Christian life? I, so um, uh, he, he elaborated. This was his dream. He named a particular preacher that he saw himself as, um, who had international acclaim. And he said he want, his dream was to fruitfully preach, as he said himself, to thousands. And he believed that that was what God was calling him to. I, I mean, I, I can't see myself, um, but I can, feel, I can feel myself turning uh, uh, red. Uh, the blood was going to, to my head. I was dehydrated as well. I was... Um, I was actually shaking at one point as he was talking. I, I, had, I had to dial it back at one point. He said he could see I was upset. I was. I was I, in fact, in all honesty, and I'll answer to God for this one way or the other um, eventually, I was enraged. Be, but, but it wasn't from a place of hatred. It was from a place of a broken heart. That this man was not prepared to faithfully plant with ones and tens, and he dared to think that God would entrust to him the spiritual care of thousands, not just in his town or in his country, but he thought a continental ministry. The hubris, the pride, the self-adulation and exaltation. But in the passage we've just read, a man with weak, an apostle 
who saw the risen Lord Jesus in weakness and fear and trembling, laboring in hard ground with little fruit that produces what is probably one of the most historically dysfunctional churches in the New Testament, but nonetheless people who knew the Lord and were known by Him. That is how we plant churches. In and of ourselves, weakness, dependent entirely on Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I want to, to leave you with some, some highlights, some points as to how we're going to do this. So, so I want um, you to think about proclaiming Christ in message. Proclaiming Christ in message. Paul says that he clearly proclaimed God's testimony about Jesus Christ in um, chapter 2, verse 2. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So determined was He in that, that He Himself would only rarely be participant in the ordinance of baptism as the baptizer. The point He wanted to make was that it doesn't matter who's doing the baptizing. What matters isn't even the one who's being baptized so much as the crucified, buried, dead, and raised Jesus that baptism points to. And, and he, he was determined to let nothing distract from the beauty and glory of the gospel message. Even with that, I mean, he knew these people. Even with that, they were still squaring up against each other uh, as, um, uh, you know, adherents to Paul or Apollos or Peter. And then, of course, the uh, not positively mentioned in the text, but self, a self-righteous crowd that was like, we are of Christ. We're better than everyone else. We, we've, we've got it all together. Um, they're above it all, but they weren't, really weren't. And Paul says, is Christ divided in response to that? <laughs> right. Maybe they were the most divisive of the crowd. It wouldn't shock me, actually. Paul's focus, as difficult as it is with all of this mess going on, is proclaiming Christ This proclamation would have sprung from the Old Testament and available accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Paul preached the Scriptures, all of which bear witness to Christ in some way. He knew that to do away with Christ is to do away with the Gospel, with the good news. If there is no Gospel, there is no power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. If no one speaks the Gospel, then no one will believe the Gospel. Paul did not simply live a Christian life since the Corinthians did not know Christ and had no context of understanding what a Christian life looks like. He proclaimed Christ, which necessitates using words. I was once told that if preachers talked less about Christ and more about relevant issues like, this is a direct quote, the credit crunch, that was that dates this conversation a bit, but the church churches would still be open. This was uh, not a particularly small congregation, um, but it was one desperately in need of revitalization. It was one that for uh, it was well over a decade before they actually found a pastor that um, would accept a call or one that they would even extend a call to. A very unhealthy situation, and uh, I had actually been speaking on is either this passage or one in Galatians uh, that I, I like to talk about when I'm going other places. And um, yeah, afterwards he said, well, you know, that's where I disagree with you. Uh, I, I really think that you should just talk about the credit crunch and more people would come. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Does the message of Jesus Christ relate to our economic situation? Individually or as a nation, over 10 years ago when people were talking about the credit crunch and uh, all of that, now it's the cost of living crisis, isn't it? Does, does, uh, does the gospel relate to that? Absolutely. Completely. But why would I just talk about the bad news of the credit crunch or today the cost of living crisis? People are coming for refuge. If they're coming at all, they're coming for refuge. And there are people out there who aren't 
Because we're not attractional. I mean, we're not, we're not like, our model isn't simply, you know, come, come and see. It's go and tell. And so they don't need me knocking on their door telling them what a terrible state their finances are in. And that they can't really do anything about it because actually they're doing okay as far as basic financial principles are concerned. But uh, the, the system, the situation we're in is causing them problems. And what, what, I leave them with a message of despair, of hopelessness. If we preach Christ and people find it irrelevant, then there must be some deficiency in our communication because Christ is immensely relevant. Church planting requires us to labor diligently and patiently and clearly proclaiming the good news about Jesus, who He is, why He came, what He did, and what that means for us. In church planting, there can be no confusion over what a church is as a body of believers committed to point to Christ in everything. If we are all about Jesus as a church... And I don't understand any church that is about anything else. It's not a church. There's social clubs, there's um, community gatherings, residence associations, local activities, village halls, community centers. There, there are things that are out there but that are doing good things, but there's only one group that will be proclaiming Jesus. I co-chair the local residence association. I coordinate the neighborhood watch. Neither of those groups are going to proclaim Jesus. That might be a bridge for me to get to know people and, and, and talk to them about Jesus. In truth, I haven't always found them quite as receptive. Oddly, counter what some people's experience is, quite legitimately, I'm sure. But um, I find that people want me to talk about community issues when I'm the you know, residence association guy, and they want me to talk about police issues when I'm the neighborhood watch guy, but um, uh, they want something different, something better when they're, they're dying of cancer or when they've lost their mom or, or, or when they're asking questions like that go deeper than the surface. What's wrong with people? What's wrong with our community? What's wrong with our world? That's something only followers of Jesus Christ can speak to properly. So let's proclaim Jesus. Let's proclaim Christ in our message. He is the anointed one of God, the, the chosen king. He is the one who saves his people from their sins. Why are we proclaiming something else? Why, why is the model of church planting so often built around someone or something else? I went, I went through, sister knows what I'm talking about. Um, I went through an Instagram and, um, you know, I just saw pictures of this guy on every, every advert posing. It wasn't, it was, it wasn't even like uh, candid shots. You know, it was the, the, the sort of double-breasted blazer and the turtleneck with the pose. And I was like, you know, cool photo. I know you were dying to use it on some publicity. Once might have been, we could have, we could have forgiven you, but, you know, 20 times? Come on, man. Every post? A uh, bit tacky. It's worse than that, though. If we, get, if we get down to it, there is a rampant culture of narcissism in a lot of what passes for church planting. Is it even church planting? Or is it personality planting? Something else going on. We, we, we have to talk about uh, something else, though. This leads naturally to something else, uh, portraying Christ in mission. So what do you see? What you say is vitally important. And what people hear as a result is, is critical. But what do they see? Are we portraying Christ? Church planting is a mission. Actually, if we properly order our thoughts and refer to bear with me on this one, charitable work more broadly as ministry, the work of either starting or strengthening churches through evangelism becomes the mission. And charitable work might be a part of the mission uh, so far as it serves the mission, but it is not missions. 
We do have to rewire our thinking. That requires maybe some other conversations at another time. But mission is the proclamation of Jesus Christ and the good news of the kingdom, which is done through, yes, that interpersonal thing we call evangelism, which results either in churches being planted or churches being strengthened. At, at this point, note in um, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, Paul's words, I came to you. I was among you. I was with you. These terms indicate a real knowledge of the people to whom he was ministering. He lived in the area where he was planting the church. He got to know the city, its history, its people, its culture, and its spiritual condition. He communicated the gospel to them clearly, which necessitated relating to them in a way that they could understand. And he did all of this while maintaining personal purity and integrity in his life. I was with you. I was among you. He's not, he's not an outsider. Spiritually, he is. He's unique and distinct. But he's there. He's present. And, and presence is a vital part of ministry. Being with people, being alongside people. I mean, there are so many illustrations of this in life and in you know, geopolitical stuff. I remember uh, last year when things were kicking off in Ukraine, there were a lot of pictures that were going around of um, uh, the, um, the um, uh, leadership in Russia, and you have this long table about the size of this room. It looked like probably slightly exaggerating. And um, Vladimir Putin at one side and people at the other, very far. Like, oh, this person's so detached, this person's so removed. And it, it was a powerful piece of propaganda, if, if nothing else, to have um, the uh, uh, Ukrainian president, um, Zelensky, sat shoulder to shoulder with just a group of the guys in a, in a trench someplace, drinking tea and eating salami sandwiches, which is, by the way, is a standard sort of thing when Ukrainian men get together. Um, I, I knew what type of tea he was drinking before I zoomed in and I saw the, the label. He was there. He was with them. He was one of them. And, and so when, when it comes to, to ministry, I think we can, we can learn a lot from leadership styles, looking and observing at what, what is actual leadership and what is not. Being with the people is a crucial part, I think, of church planting. Being in the community, being engaged. You know, some, someone recently um, who is doing church planting was spending the afternoon with me and they um, they were surprised but happy to see how many people out and about, I knew their name, they knew my name, they'd stop and talk, there were others I really wanted to avoid um, but couldn't just, you know, and they were like, it's, you seem to know everyone. There's an exaggeration because I feel very keenly the weight of all the people I don't know. Actually, I feel kind of guilty when I meet someone in the community who's lived here for decades and I've, I'm just now talking to them for the first time. That, that actually really gnaws at my conscience. Guys, when, when it comes to church planting, we, we can't portray Christ in our mission unless we're around people to portray to. So you can't isolate yourself. You can't cloister yourself away. Um, you know, there are certain approaches to, uh, even when we get into constituting as a church and appointing elders and so forth, there are certain approaches to pastoral ministry that are frankly less than pastoral, much more suited to the academy. Not dissing the academy, but you know, 30 hours per sermon prep. Just don't even know how that's possible. It's definitely not practical. And uh, what, what, what is the image that um, I, I want people to see? Like, well, what image is there to see if one is hid away in the, in the silence forever, only to surface maybe a couple of times a week? Paul's mission as a church planter was, was not new. In fact, it portrays or pictures Christ's incarnational mission. Think about it. 
God the Son came down from heaven, entering this world as a helpless baby. He learned the people's language and lifestyle. He wasn't fazed by who or what a person was. He was seen talking with everyone from prudes to prostitutes. He loved people and he lived among them, but he didn't sin. He got to know his people. He lived to serve them and he died and he rose again to save them. Before Jesus returned to heaven, he sent his people out, even as the Father had sent him out, so that the salvation that he'd accomplished would be applied to all who believe the gospel. And so we too are commanded to go, and as we plant churches, we should portray Christ. They should see something of Christ's incarnational mission in us. I hope we understand that. Our, 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 our posture should not be this. It should be this. Pursuing Christ in methods is the third thing that I want you to see from this passage. Um, when, we, when we start thinking of church planting methods, as I was saying, it's easy to fall into the traps of um, really two traps. There's the trap of pragmatism and there's the trap of isolationism. Pragmatism, hear, hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying, okay? Um, being pragmatic, as some people would define it, simply is being practical. What's pragmatic? What, what works? It's an important conversation to have. It's useful to think about what works, what gets a response, those type of things. But the moment what's pragmatic becomes pragmatism is... is it's the dominating philosophy of how you're going about it. Pragmatism points to results and does anything that works to achieve those results. I hope I'm not being unfair. I do believe that for some approaches to church planting, the results are the focus. And I'm not saying, let's look at those people over there and how they're doing it wrong. That's not, that's not our style. That's not what we're going to do. We need to examine ourselves and we need to see what's guiding us, what's driving this. What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing results or are we pursuing Christ? Now, we trust that we will see results, but we're pursuing Christ. Isolationism, it's interesting. It's very, very uh, sort of horseshoe theory. Are you familiar with, with that, where it's normally applied to politics, where you have like far left and you have far right, and on certain subjects, not everything, they, uh, you know, they, they start merging at some point, and you think, oh, that sounds... Far right, oh no, that's far left. That sounds, you know, you're both anti-Semitic or whatever the case, whatever the case may be. Um, pragmatism and isolationism are like that. Isolationism proclaims truth to certain people in certain places. Often, I find it emphasizes error and it typically results in either agreement, lots of people agreeing, almost a fanboyish zeal, or abuse, lots of people hating. And it makes a big noise. One attracts the world and worldliness, the other attracts the religious and rigidity. Here's how it works, just to illustrate that. We, we were pursuing possibly a church planting opportunity back in 2019, and it didn't develop in the end, but uh, there was one individual that was uh, fairly, um, you know, he was, he was a contact. He was someone that we were, we were hoping to see something come from that. And uh, the place was close enough that I could invite him to our afternoon gathering particularly. I really wanted, you know, to build this gathering. And so um, he, he was invited. He said, yeah. See, the thing about Grace Baptist Church Wood Green is it's an established church. 
and I have some different views, and I thought that something new, people might be a little more open to my ideas. I was stunned. He was honestly telling me that his whole agenda was to steer the ship of this church plant. Now, there are some views that might be worth promoting. Don't get me wrong. But I'm sorry. Uh, you know, finally, I understood why he wasn't standing and singing with us. If he stood, he sort of had a jowly scowl on his face, uh, sort of a monobrow created by his... It was, it was not nice. And uh, why, 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 why is he, like, miserable when we're singing the praises of the Lord? This is a conversation we'll have to have for another time, but, you know, exclusive psalmody was what he hoped we would adopt. We'd only sing the psalms. And I was like, well, you know, we, we've sung some psalms. Where, oh, but those, those, are, yeah, those are written by modern, modern people, modern worship. Yeah, it needs to be like from like metrical psalms around 1700, 1600s, 1700s. We're on safe territory there. And then, so then come to find out he doesn't even believe in believer's baptism. Like, okay, there are, there are churches you can be a part of. If you hold that conviction, great, fine. But he was, he was actually hoping, he was welcome to attend, but I mean, he was hoping that we would somehow end up, despite, you know, Grace Baptist Church, planting a Baptist church, uh, wanted to swing us around to the Pado-Baptist view. And, um, you know, that's, that's all fine and good if he's in that circle. But, uh, wow. So, sometimes people think that if we can start an exclusive psalmody, pedo-baptist, let's add to the list of things that he shared with me, sort of theonomic post-millennialism, don't have to understand what that is, just we're getting into lots of stuff here. You plant a flag, and by planting a flag, oh yes, the troops will rally. The people who are into those things because they might not see them elsewhere to their liking, they surface and you end up planting, this is tragic, you end up planting a church that has lots of toxic characteristics. It's not actually uh, planting a church, not evangelistically at least. It's gathering the disaffected, the miserable, the bitter, the, and this is not David in, um, Adulam's cave. You know, this, these people are sometimes under church discipline. And they're, they're drawn to the place for wrong reasons. Reasons that have nothing to do really with Christ. We have to be clear about that. Pragmatism and isolationism, both of them pursue human agendas, whatever they say. The methods of biblical church planting are all about pursuing Christ so that we may be more like Him. Pursuing Christ in the methods of church planting relates to what we do. Evangelism. Faithfully sharing the good news of salvation in Christ alone by making disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them to observe all of Christ's commands. Trusting in His promise to always be with His people. Oh, it might be harder and slower that way. But uh, the Lord blesses. It relates even more to how we, how we do evangelism. How are we doing evangelism? I, my friend uh, Wale um, Akinrogande in um, uh, Walamso was talking recently about a, uh, a time he was doing evangelism just this past week out on the um, market there in Walamso, one of the largest in Europe, I think. Uh, so he's, he's out engaging people with the gospel. This lady... Um, uh, begins to harass him, um, and so he decides he's gone, just sort of walk away. Her harassment is not anti, um, what is anti-Christian? It's, 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 she actually was the one saying she's a Christian, and he needed to come to her church, as she put it, so you can learn the true gospel. 
I don't know what she was on about, and Wally didn't either. Um, she didn't even ask him questions about what he believed. The assumption was made that he was wrong, she was right, and if, if he would leave his pastoral responsibilities in his local church, then come to, to there, maybe he would learn the true gospel and then be of use. That's, that's a very wrong way to pursue evangelism. There are people who are utterly sincere and are in gospel-preaching churches that nonetheless conduct themselves in that kind of way. So we need to be very careful that in our evangelism we are humble, that we are in our evangelism not, not forcing it, but we are faithfully persevering, enduring difficulty, opposition to preach Christ, investing ourselves in the messy, burdened lives of the people around us with Christ-like compassion, care, and conviction. Paul says to the Corinthians that he was with them, I'll say it again, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As I close, I, I want you to know this. Church planting is not about the planter or planters. Church planting is about Christ. Getting all the aesthetics right and building up a strong personality that attracts people has nothing to do with it. Although I, ideally a person would be um, above reproach. Yes, they should be above reproach. Ideally they would be winsome and warm. Um, but if, if you're looking to build a personality platform, then become an actor or a politician. No, not disparaging actors, dear sister. It is a noble profession, rightly applied. Church planting pursues Christ. But where does Christ lead? To a cross. On the cross, Christ was weak. As death approached, he felt alone. As he hung naked and flayed above the mocking crowd, he trembled. His lungs gasped for air and his lips were parched with thirst. His words spoken on the cross were discernible only to those who knew Him well. To everyone else, they were the pleas of a helpless lunatic. But in this human weakness, Christ was the power and wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks all about that. Verse 24, He is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Verse 30 of the previous chapter says, Paul believed this. So laying human pride, laying power, laying philosophies, and all of these things aside, along with the privileges and pleasures of an easier life, which he could have enjoyed, he boasted only in Christ. And he was empowered by the Holy Spirit through all difficulties. Biblical church planters and groups of people doing church planting, they are in and of themselves weak, powerless men who with prayer and fasting seek the Lord's guidance, weep tears over the lost, and often labor in evangelism, preaching, and personal discipleship for a long time, diligently, faithfully, and painfully, without seeing much fruit. But like Christ, they endure everything for the joy that is laid before them. People say it's a thankless task or a joyless task. No, no. The thanks and the joy might be delayed, but it's there. The joy is before us. Church planting is not a child's game. It's, it's not one of those stories Victorian boys used to read and then face the brutal realities of war. It's an assault against the gates of hell. It requires perseverance in Christ keeping Christ always at the center of our message, mission, and methods. In all the difficulties that we face, the Lord's words to Paul when he was planting the church at Corinth still ring true. You can find them in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. 
and do not be silent, for I am with you. We believe that he has many in this city, in this nation, on this dark continent, who are his. And so by God's grace, we plant churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal Son made flesh in the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you gave your sinless life for us on the cross, that we by believing in you might be saved. Restored to right relationship with God, our sins washed away, ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you encourage us, you comfort us, you empower us and equip us for lives of Christ-likeness as we proclaim Christ. Lord, I again lift up to you the church planting ministry uh, in which we have embarked most recently in Enfield Lock. We do pray that you would strengthen them, sustain them. May they not fear, may they not give up, not because they have attained some form of stoic resolve, but because they have found strength despite their weakness in the crucified Lord Jesus. We pray too for our brother Adrian Yeboa in Netherlands. We thank you that um, he is serving uh, now through a, that, helping that church through a, a difficult season. We ask, Lord, that you would sustain him and give him strength. And um, we pray for the uh, co-elder there, Corey. We pray for his healing, for um, mental, emotional, uh, spiritual refreshing for him and his wife and, and their children. We ask, Lord, that you would, um, you would help Adrian to, to be what he's called to be in that place as they seek the, uh, the, the planting and revitalizing of gospel churches there. Thank you for the privilege of serving you. Amen.